The Athletic. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh and welcome to the Football Manager Show sponsored by LiveScore. On today's show, we're building up to my first ever proper online draft tournament. No, not including the one I did with Tifo. We'll be speaking to Moza at FM Playoffs about this week's 92-93 database playoff. And I may need a tactical master plan, so who better than RDF Tactics to join me on the show? He's going to be trying to convince me to go for a 4-2-4. Yeah, sounds a bit new wave to me. Hey, Father Stephen is here too for your FM confessional. We've got your letters and the live score legend of the week is a footballer who doesn't look like any footballer you'd ever see nowadays. There's a lot to pack in, so let's get cracking. RDF Tactics, hello. Hello. Thank you ever so much for joining us on what, if I'm right in thinking, is your third appearance on the show. Is that right? It is. It really is. And so thank, thank you for that, having me again. No, thank you, because you are now a friend of the show. Here's something for you. <laughs> Welcome to the executive bathroom, sir. RDF Tactics, I know this is a very emotional moment. It usually <laughs> knocks people uh, to one side, but are you okay? Can you compose yourself? <laughs> That's class. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome aboard. You, you've earned it. We literally redid the entire top of the show because we suddenly realised it was your third appearance. So <laughs> that was uh, the reason for all the, the, the retakes. Uh, RDF Tactics, um, famed tactical uh, uh, YouTuber. Uh, I saw you on Zealand recently. You are the man with many, many plans and I need your help. But 424, I mean, that's pretty aggressive, isn't it? It's very aggressive. But at the same time, I feel with the right players, it's very deadly as well. So it's a good system, but it's very specific. And just hope you're, you're one of the better teams in the league to test this out. So this is the FM Playoffs. If you just search on Twitter at FM Playoffs, you'll find all the information. It's a whole load of people who really know what they're doing. And me playing with the Mad Scientist 92-93 database. Now, pretty much the only thing I've got going in my favour here is that I did actually watch quite a lot of the 92-93 season in real life. I am familiar with the players, so I'm backing myself in the draft. But 4-2-4, I'm going to get destroyed in the middle, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say so. I think a 4-2-4 can be very effective. Let's talk about the two in the middle, because I, I think that's the critical point of this formation. Now, I would probably want to maximise the mobility, do a sort of Sean Deitch thing. So I'd be thinking a defensive midfielder defend and a box-to-box -box support. Would that be right? Or does even that leave me too exposed? You could do that. I was just looking at it myself as well. I think the actual the key for the midfield would be how you are in transition. Now, I'm looking at a 4-2-4 and I wouldn't necessarily use a counter mainly because as soon as you win the ball, 
your centre midfielders too will run forward as well, which will leave a massive gap in the midfield. But in possession, once you have the ball, I do, yeah, I would agree with the centre midfielder on defence, just making sure he's he's controlling the tempo of the game, coming deep to collect the ball. And then you have your energizer linking up between each box as well. And hopefully you can get the ball. Now I'm thinking you need a way to get the ball to the wide men because you don't necessarily just want to keep the ball in the middle. So you may want to find a way or it could be a DLP on defend. Yeah, deep line playmaker. I was saying on Twitter last week, Jan Mulby is on the game and he has a pace of three. But my God, that boy can drop a football anywhere. But I think having a pace of three in a two-man midfield is mad. You say don't go on counter-attack. What mentality would you go for a 4-2-4? It's going to sound crazy, but I think I would go attacking. Oh, wow. I would go attacking because that would look to get your players further forward. So this also forces you not to use the counter because you're already attacking anyway. So the players generally will be looking to get further forward. And then you will have your certain players like your DLP, which he would know that his job is to hold his position. Whereas if you're telling him to counter as well, he's going to leave his position. So I think attacking to kind of keep that counter attacking going and then you have your little players holding their position. What would you go, like gegenpress, vertical tiki-taka? Yeah, I think the only way is to be aggressive. I think that's the only way. I think anything else, let's say if you're holding possession, I think you're leaving yourself again exposed for the counter-attack. So I think the best way is probably press heavy, play heavy as well, more direct, just focus on getting the ball from back to front very quickly. All right, let's try and protect these two midfielders. We're going defensive midfield defence and box-to-box support. With the two centre-backs, is there anything I can do with them that will help protect the midfield, like pushing one further up? Yeah, so you could have a stopper. He kind of leaves his defensive line to try and win the ball back aggressively. That's if one of your central midfielders can't make it. So that's a decent plan to have a centre-back on stopper. But again, it's all about your centre-back's mobility. If they're very mobile, then you're, you're winning, really. Because then you can defend high as well. Yeah, if I pick someone like Keith Curl, who's got a pace of 19 and acceleration of 18, that might be an answer. And then I can I can also have a big lad, a sort of Gary Pallister, to help out. I'm always worried about splitting the centre-backs, though, because it obviously yeah. um, compromises any offside trap. I'm the same. I'm honestly the same. I don't... <laughs> I never use stopper and cover. I, I, never, I never do it. Because I'm the same. I kind of like to put my stamp on things, and my stamp is always a high defensive line. So I think it's too much of a compromise to have one on stop or one on cover. Okay, so we'll go high defensive line, but standard defenders. What help can we get out of the fullbacks? I noticed you on the Zealand video saying that if you go too narrow on this game, particularly if you combine it with sitting back, you can get absolutely obliterated down the flanks. So I presume we're looking for a sort of medium lateral defence and what supporting fullbacks or is even that too risky I definitely go for supporting fullbacks you don't want your fullbacks acting individually so for me an individual role or duty would be defend and attack a support I mean you kind of work it out it's supporting the supporting role but someone with an attack so let's say you've got a fullback or a wingback on attack his main thing is to get the ball and dribble with it and bring the ball forward himself which can be very very risky so I would have my two fullbacks on supportive I'm not even sure I'd use wingbacks I'll possibly go with fullbacks on support because again there's just that little bit more defensive responsibility 
And then you've got your attacking four, your two wingers, your two strikers doing the business for you in attack. This is a thing. I mean, uh, I'll come to them in just a sec. But with the goalkeeper, is there a good argument for having a sweeper keeper attack? If your defensive line's so high, you yeah. want a sort of Man City style goalkeeper, modern day, um, which I guess would be Bruce Grobelar in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the good thing about the sweeper keeper as well is they like to play those key passes or they like to get the ball forward, initiate counter attack. That is something that could be very, very useful in the 44 as well. Because again, in 44, the main thing for me is counter attacks. You want to hurt teams on a counter-attack. And that's how you kind of get the best out of a 4-2-4. And the goalkeeper who can initiate counter-attacks is only going to help. OK, um, so far this sounds like the kind of formation you put on a beer mat in a pub at about quarter to 11. Um, <laughs> it's so aggressive, I'm, I'm terrified even discussing it. But let's talk about the plus points. You've got two wide men up top. Yes. With fullback on support, they're going to have a little bit of backup. So what would you go for? Would you go for the, the general sort of one-man wide, one-man cutting-in split? I think I'm going for the box. I think I'll go with both of them cutting inside, coming inside. Oh, wow. I think so, yeah. Because, again, the main aim is to drive towards goal. So, again, once you win that ball, you want a lot of vertical movements. And then your wing-backs or your full-backs are there to provide that width. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you kind of want to create that overload in the middle. Then you have your full-back supporting. But again, it's all about, for me, the 4 2 4 I've got to keep saying it, it's about counter-attacking. So let's say you lose the ball higher up the pitch. And then as soon as you win the ball back, you've got your two inside players and your two forwards looking to run directly towards that goal. Or you might have a false nine or a deep line forward along with your advanced forward. And he kind of drops deep and that allows, again, two wingers to get advance off of him and that advance forward as well. This is my concern because if you've got both wingers cutting inside, that doesn't yeah. leave a lot of room for your two strikers. So would you split them vertically and have a sort of advance forward and a deep line forward? Exactly, yeah. I'm just looking at Southampton because they're kind of like the perfect or the only team kind of trying to look at this in real life. And then you've got, I think you've got like a Broja here who can kind of run off Shea Adams, for an example. Shea Adams is very technically good on this game which I never noticed <laughs> so you can kind of have him dropping deep to collect the ball and then you have your Brozier then you have your Nathan Redmond and Nepo just running off Adams because again you're not going to have your central midfielders break forward so you might actually want to have that creativity which you can use on the flanks as well so you might not want to use an inverted forward you might want to go for an inverted winger someone that's a little bit more creative in attack and that can help you create your chances as well because you also need to find a way to create your chances because you're not always going to rely on that counter attack see as much as i like that you brought in a contemporary reference point for our uh, our younger listeners i'm a bit perturbed that you've picked southampton a team <laughs> routinely ship seven or eight goals see um, now but it's not aiding my confidence with <laughs> the reason why i did it is to kind of highlight how inconsistent a 44 can be so i think it was in february where they were unbeaten and then it came into march where they didn't win a game at all so it it kind of shows you that a 424 on its day can be very, very good. Equally, if your team's not up for it, it could end in a 9-0 or a 6-0, which we know Southampton are no stranger to. Okay, I, I guess my problem is that I haven't really been any good at this game since <laughs> probably Football Manager 2007, where my 442 target man formation was a revelation. I sort of come at this, I like to think from a Sun Tzu position. You know, you you, yeah. uh, you first put the possibility of defeat out of reach 
then you start thinking about victory. So I always go counterattack. Let me talk you through the formation that, that I've got, and uh, and let's just hope that no one from the draft is listening because this is, <laughs> this is basically my plan. You'd be surprised. I like four three three. Okay, I've got it working for me at Newcastle. Uh, two conventional centre backs, conventional goalkeeper. I like two supporting wing backs, uh, a, either a deep line playmaker if I've got one, or just a flat out defensive midfielder, a box to box midfielder, and a central midfielder attack, which I think is one of the most underrated roles on this game. I've got an innie and an outie on the wing. Doesn't matter which side they are, as long as one's going out to stretch them and one's going in to uh, carve them up. I like my innie to be an inside forward rather than an inverted winger, someone to uh, kind of get behind the line and then pressing forward seems to be the way to go for lone strikers here and it's all just really simple it's it's just run at people get low crosses in um starting from a counter-attacking position i mean it feels like i've got a really good base that would be pretty versatile in bringing out the best of most players there please say i'm right i totally agree that is is what what that I'm a huge four three three guy as well. Like it's one of those formations where I I really struggle to get away from it. So I will start a save. I will do start with a four two four or a four two three one. I swear by the end of the season I've somehow made a four three three again. But um, I totally agree. I think you've got a very versatile attack, especially with the DLP and then your wingers. You you've got wing backs. So when they advance, your DLP may get the ball and he looks to stretch the play by hitting the flanks, hitting those direct balls out wide. In attack, you've got a nice um, versatile link up as well with the winger. One person stretching play, one coming inside and then you've got your pressing forward who, again, is one of those um, underappreciated roles because I don't think he's going to grab you necessarily 50, 60 goals like the advanced forward can, but the link up play between him and the attacking players. It's very, very good. And then, of course, you've got your central midfielder breaking through as well. Now, the big question is, is that central midfielder on attack on the same side as your winger stretching play? So I'm just looking at my Newcastle formation and what I've got is an inside forward attack on the left. And yeah, on the left side of central midfielder, central midfielder attack. So they kind of overwhelm that side of the pitch. Yeah. Is that all right? Lovely stuff. Yeah, Yeah, you're onto it. I think you've got the perfect balance, the perfect, perfect balance. In summary, if I go with 4-3-3, my Newcastle formation, and I use 4-2-4 as a, well, we're 2-0 down, we may as well just go for it. You, yes. do, do you back my chances here? I do, I do. And I don't want to <laughs> I jinx it whatsoever, but newcomers tend to have a good run. They tend to have a good run. And it's one of those things you don't know how that player is going to set up. Like, I'm not necessarily new to drafting, but showdown was my first draft. When I came against Holly from the Athletic, which was her very first draft, you, I honestly do not have an idea what to do. So I just literally have to trust my game because I don't know so how she drafts. I don't know how she set up. Basically, what you're saying is my only advantage was anonymity and I've just given it up by explaining all my <laughs> tactics on this podcast. Excellent well, news. <laughs> if there's, more to, yeah, there's, there's still more to it is how you draft as well, how you draft your team. Whereas like with someone like Clates, it's kind of, <laughs> Kevin Aluja loves to use the term big meaty men he kind of drafts these big strikers who are very very difficult to deal with and you know from the get-go Clates is going very direct and you can know that from the get-go how you deal with it that's a different question well you heard it here first I'll be signing Ian Ormondroid RDF Tactics <laughs> that's brilliant thank you for coming in to help where can we find out more from you I am on RDF Tactics on everything so RDF Tactics on Twitch Twitter and YouTube 
Fantastic. Go check him out. The man knows stuff. It's more than a score with Live Score. Legends of the game. So, what's all this about then? Well, with Live Score, which I'm certain you've all downloaded for free from the App Store or Google Play, you get the latest action stats and analysis from around the world. Because we know with football, it goes beyond scores. It's the stories from the pitch and the stands, players and fans all spinning their own strands of the mighty football web that links us all together. And there's no better way to twang that web than by playing Football Manager. Because we've been doing it for so many years, we've made a few memories. Welcome to Legends of the Game. And this week, after a run of sad stories of lost stars, we go a little happier. Because we go a little Mulby. Or to be more accurate, a large Mulby. And with a thematic flourish, we're going right back to CM93. Yeah, Mulby never really looked like a footballer. Even when he was a young star of that legendary Denmark side, piles of puppy fat sat on a jaw that could take a kick from a horse. But boy, as the song goes, could he play? Liverpool signed him from Ajax in 1984 and gave him a license to trundle between defence and midfield. Yes, he was a deep-lying playmaker before anyone even knew what one was. His passing was at Paul Scholes levels. If you chucked a 50p onto the pitch, Mulby could land a ball on it from 60 yards. His penalties were at Matt Letizier level, though thankfully we have no reason to believe that his opinions were too. It's a tragedy that his proposed 1990 move to Spain broke down because now the world will never know what he would have looked like at the heart of a Johan Cruyff Barcelona side. But I think it would have looked pretty good. He makes his first appearance on our Atari ST screen in 1993, of course, suffering not only the indignity of a 1 rating for pace, but also of being used in the manual as an example of how the 1-20 to scale worked for pace, set against Swansea's John Williams, winner of the 1992 Rumbelow Sprint competition that preceded the League Cup final. Boy, was that a day. Now, those numbers hurt him on CM, but now... Now you can really see the player he was. You just need that Mad Scientist 92-93 mod. Blessed now with a pace of three, three! And given traits that include tries killer balls often, the man is a creative machine, doing exactly what he did for Liverpool in the mid-80s, glancing up and smacking the ball 50 yards to land on the instep of your favoured foot. Yeah, Mulby, we salute you. That was It's More Than A Score with Live Score Legends of the Game. You can get real-time updates and results, match highlights and breaking news from around the football world on the Live Score app. And it's completely free. Just search for it on the App Store or Google Play now. If you've never subscribed to The Athletic before, you can still get a six-month subscription for six quid. Seriously, I've checked with management and everything. The offer's still on. I don't know what's happened. I presume ranking competence because it's madness. Six months for six quid. That doesn't make any sense. That's a quid a month. That's 25p a week for literally millions of words. I mean, at some point, they're going to wake up and realise this is silly. So uh, make sure you take advantage now, eh? Go to theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. That is theathletic.com forward slash fmpod. Grab that deal and uh, try and keep it to yourself, eh?
Okay, I'm delighted to be joined by the organiser of this FM Playoffs competition that we've been discussing just now with RDF. Welcome to the show, Derek Robertson, or otherwise known as Mozza on Twitter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very good. A little nervous, and uh, I'm going to be honest, I don't think RDF's attempts to convince me to go for an aggressive formation have really aided the the anxiety that I'm feeling. But um, this tournament, I'm absolutely delighted to be involved in it. But for anyone who doesn't know, for anyone who's never watched one of these things, what is it? The easiest way to explain it is it's a community tournament for people who create content essentially. So that could be podcasts, it could be streams, um, YouTube videos. But we bring 12 creators together who wouldn't ordinarily know each other or speak to each other. And it's a chance for people to, to get to know each other, to play games and just basically to... It's a bit less pressured than some other ones. It is, it is a fun kind of um, thing for people playing and watching, hopefully. And we've got the added benefit, like this month and in certain months where we go back retro. So this time around, it's uh, the 92-93 database, which is uh, is bringing back all sorts of nostalgia. This is pretty much the only thing that's um, that's keeping my spirits up, is that I'm old <laughs> enough to know all of these players. The format's interesting, isn't it? Uh, you've got a, a big draft on Thursday, which will be streamed, and then the tournament itself is on the Sunday. What What's the format of the tournament? How many teams are involved? So we've got 12 teams, 12 managers, and uh, you get put into two groups, so six per group. You play everyone else one time in the group, and then the top three from each group go, go through to well, technically what the playoffs are, the knockout rounds. So the, the way it works is group winners go straight to the semi-final, and second plays third from the other group in the quarters, and it all goes from there. It makes sure that you don't go through the pain of a whole draft only to have two games. So at least you're you're guaranteed a good run. This is good because my wife has said, how long are you going to be doing this for? And I was like, eh, not not long. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that long at all. Um, so everyone's everyone's uh, linked up and they're on Discord. Yeah, so you, you can watch it on Twitch. We're all on Discord to talk to each other. So during the game, you'll get to hear the conversation between the two the two players and everything as well, which is nice. And then things might get a little bit more tense as a the kind of a the more astute are left in the final. But I suspect I won't be there, so <laughs> <laughs> that's the well, spirit. Uh, we'll see how it goes. All information will be on my Twitter feed, which is uh, Ian underscore Games. That's Ian spelt correctly: I A I N uh, underscore Games. How long have you been running these tournaments? So we started last year at FM Twenty One. It feels that pretty much all these tournaments started then. It's just exploded and kind of popularity. People have realised that you can play against one another and it is genuinely a really fun way to play the game. And we're now at the point where um, we've had almost 100 different people involved. So it's got quite big in a short space of time. It's fascinating, isn't it? Getting to a point where uh, there's almost like this, this sort of actual competition actual rankings sort of coalescing mm -hmm. um in the fm community can you ever see it getting to a point where there is like a you know the official football manager challenges possibly i think it's never going to be a a, a serious e-sport as such because there is such a luck-based element in the game for all you know you could have the best team in the world and your goalkeeper misses a ball and suddenly you've lost a game out of nowhere I don't see why this can't continue to grow and potentially get bigger and bigger and more people get involved with it. I, I think the 
the key is that it's just fun, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, we we don't have to be scrapping for nine million pound um, winning fees. Though, I mean, I'm not saying I'd turn it down, um, <laughs> but it might it might just be nice. Ninety two, ninety three is a really interesting shout. What's brought that on? So we've run a few retro ones in the past. We did O one O two, which was really successful, and ninety two, ninety three is the most recent mad scientist database that we we tend to use. He's he's just a a madman and a genius at the same time, the amount of hours he, he puts into these. So it's such a, a great little nostalgia trip when you go through the names in there and some of the, the guys that are in there at 17, 18 year olds. Like you've got the class of 92 from Man United, for example, who are just coming through Roy Keane at Nottingham Forest, who's um basically a walking red card at the time, but he's maybe worth <laughs> it. So Diego Simeone is the most aggressive player I've ever seen in my life. So yeah, it's uh, it's great. I've been doing a game on this database for the last couple of days and, and what I've been trying to do in an effort to really learn the database, I've just been playing properly in depth, slowing everything down. I must have put in like 14 hours and I've, I'm only about three games into the season. And yeah, aggression is a real thing. There are so many 20s in the database, not just for aggression, but for it's a really, really interesting game when you play it like that because it doesn't sort of have the the balance of of the actual game you've just got these standout players all over the place i don't want you to give too much ahead away of the draft but are there like three players that you're really very desperate to get hold of yeah duncan ferguson purely because i'm scottish and he is just oh interesting an old school target man who can jump in heads over almost anyone in it yeah Near post corners. And there's one or two others. It's more nostalgia again, but Eric Cantona. I absolutely love Cantona. And young Zidane in there looks really good. He's he's basically a more a, a more a kind of cultured Gary McAllister in it, which I quite like to make that comparison, but <laughs> I'll be quite happy if I end up with Gary Mack instead. Yep, nothing nothing wrong with that. Uh, Tony Jameson, who was on the show recently, stand up comic, he is also in this. I think me and him are going to be scrapping for Alan Shearer. <laughs> it's it's going to get a bit messy. But when I said that to him, I thought, well, actually, is Shearer the best on there? Who do you reckon the best striker is in 92? I think Van Basten probably is the, the best. But there's a few. You've got Klinsman yeah. and Maradona's in there as well, still at the peak of his power. So you're spoiled for choice, to be honest, going forward. Yeah, it's going to be very, very tricky and I'm not looking forward to doing the maths on all of this. I've got a horrible feeling I'm going to end up with um, Lothar Mateus, Diego Maradona and then basically like the Sheffield Wednesday team. <laughs> Steve Chettle at the back. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, Carlton Palmer might actually be quite good. I'll have to go back and check his his details. But because there's so much pace and tackling and heading there, you're never going to get the ball over the top of him. Mm -hmm. um, he might be a, a little wild card. I'm also... I'm toying with the idea of Jan Mulby as a deep-lying playmaker. He's only got a pace of three. Is this suicide? Possibly. Yeah. It depends if you've got runners with him, I suppose. The old uh, approach of having the guy who's the cultured playmaker that doesn't move. Your yeah. Mulby or your Prozanetsky type and just having... Dennis Wise and the outsider, whatever. Sort of like having a dad playing with eight-year-olds, you know, he's not allowed to run. He'll just ping the ball about. Who's the favourite, do you think, out of the people who are playing? So we've got a reigning champion in Gareth, GYR, he goes by, who is a bit of a tactical wizard. Right. So 
I think he probably goes in as favourite, but there's a lot of people in here that know their, their, their way around a draft and one or two who are making their, well, basically a debut. So it's an interesting mix. We'll, um, we'll see how it plays out. All right. Just for anyone who missed the details, remind us where we can watch this. So uh, it's on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash FM Playoffs and on the Twitter at FM Playoffs. You'll see everything and everything assorted nonsense as well as updates as a as a week progresses fantastic all right well i look forward to seeing you um well, first on thursday for the draft and then on sunday for what will be the crowning humiliation of my career thank you so much moza for joining us where can we find you on twitter i'm just at moza on twitter sorry moza please i tell a lie um it's on twitch <laughs> i'm i'm moza so yeah come and find me and uh you can uh, get more very poor jokes and all sorts of assorted nonsense as well. <laughs> Mozza plays on Twitter. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'll see you very soon. Appreciate you having me. Thank you. It's time once again for FM Confessional. We know that this game invokes some very strong emotional reactions. Some of them, absolutely fine. Some of them, you know, rather less so. But you are with friends here. I think I think we, as a show and an, an audience, understand each other on a very deep, almost molecular level. So if there's been something troubling you about the way that you've been playing the game, get in touch, because Father Stephen is here. Hello, Father Stephen. Hello, Ian, my son. Father Stephen will judge whether or not you should really be ashamed of yourself and the way that you're living your life. Now, we have a letter from Simon Reichelt. Simon says, I've been a massive fan of the podcast. Thank you, Simon. I have a confessional, however. I heard you mention that sometimes you think about your Newcastle squad to help you fall asleep at night. I do a similar thing where I pretend that my FM manager is on an interview with the TIFO podcast. I recite the full intro in my head, Gutten, Morgan, Seb and everything. I then proceed to answer all the questions they have to ask me about my outstanding success winning the Champions League with 1860 Munich. Father Stephen, Simon's gone deep, hasn't he? He has, he has, my son. However, I don't know whether it's because I'm in a forgiving mood today or whether... As Jesus said, yet he who is without sin casts the first stone. Because I've also done a similar, not, not, not quite necessarily with, with our fine friends from the parish of Tifo, but um, who among us has not out loud pretended to be in a press conference and, and then drastically stopped when another person walks into the room? I'm inclined to agree. I don't, I don't think this is so bad. I mean, I think the cold hands, warm embrace and uh, Gutten, Morgan, Seb might just be going a bit too far but equally you know you're getting in the right frame of mind you're, you're building up your, your kind of your, your mental palace I, I don't think Simon's got a lot to be ashamed of here no I know and I mean we are all of us sinners and one part of me does want to give Simon five games managing his under 23s which um for for some for yourself young Ian would uh, be a be a blessing not a punishment but well that would be a, yeah absolute pleasure <laughs> but for many others maybe not i I, th- I think that's i think that's reasonable five games with the under 23s when you father stephen interview yourself mm. who's doing the interviewing is there a particular journalist mm. well because 
Well, you know those press conferences where there are multiple questions from multiple uh, journalists. That is, uh, that's what I tend to do rather than any particular yeah. individual in, in, this, in that fine profession. See, in my head, generally, it was Henry Winter, mm. which I, I never, I've frequently sat next to Henry Winter at various games over the years and I've, I've never actually approached <laughs> this with him. But I always felt that, because Henry is, he, he is a very, very charming man. Um, if you're a young journalist, Henry will always talk mm. to you. And that, that sounds like a kind of basic human behavior. But I know so many young journalists that Henry has sat down next to at a game and said, hello, I'm, I'm Henry Winter. What's your name? Where are you from? Who are you writing for? And um, he, he's made a lot of young journalists feel like a million dollars. And I, I just feel that he, he would get and understand me. But on another level... I also imagine what the Sunday supplement bunch will make of, of my team. Mm. And, and I will sometimes envisage myself sitting watching the telly and getting increasingly incensed at the views of some of the journalists on there on my team, which, which again, might be going a bit too far. Mm. Well, of course, as I'm sure you know, young Ian, that my, when I'm not, of course, contemplating the wonder of our Lord, I spend a lot of my time in, in Florence. And, of course, James Walcastle of the Athletics Parish is the preeminent Serie A experts so I often in terms of analysis will think um, what would Horncastle think of my Fiorentina side Do you imagine where you'd live in Florence if you were the manager? I would like to think that I could afford being paid at top level management to be right in the centre Nice some, Properly like I can walk out and it's like I've walked into the 14th century I think I would probably be on the quayside at Newcastle <laughs> yeah. And there's a little calf which is underneath um, the bridge uh, as you go up the hill in, into town. And I think I would probably breakfast there. Oh, nice. Uh, uh, before heading into, uh, heading into the training pit. And again, that's probably going. Simon, <laughs> what we're trying to say is I, I think you're all right. <laughs> I think this is absolutely fine. And we also passed this on to the guys at TIFO and they thought it was very amusing and absolutely okay as well. If you've got something that's kind of wearing you down, kind of worrying you, get in touch. Um, maybe, like Simon, everything will all be okay. You just have to play a couple of under-23 games. Or maybe, like some of our, our correspondents, it'll be a little bit worse. Uh, get in touch. It's imacintosh at theathletic.com or find me on Twitter, Ian underscore games. And those addresses will serve you well if you just want to write to us about anything. I mean, um, you know, anything you've done, any questions you've got, or anything even non-football manager related. We're always happy to hear from you. First letter in a very, very busy mailbag is from Ollie Mann, who's managed to find a new ridiculously difficult challenge. Uh, dominated domestically, got to number one in the Hall of Fame, and he decided he wanted to invent an international team Pentagon challenge. So the long-term goal is to win the Asian Games, the AFCON, the Gold Cup, the Copper America, the Euros, and then the World Cup, uh, building from the lowest reputation international competition to the highest. And he'd recommend it to everyone. Uh, he says it's a brilliant way to keep a long-term save alive. How's it going for him? In 2034, he joined China, who had just lost three out of three in the World Cup. Uh, four years later, he's cracking on, lost the Asian Games final, but did win the East Asian Cup in 2036 before losing that title to South Korea in 2038. In terms of the World Cup, uh, unbeaten in qualifying and a run to the World Cup quarterfinals, beating Chile and Turkey. So, I mean, this feels like a massive time investment, but he's got China ranked 17th in the world. 
also a little bit of future knowledge says the new World Cup formula, which presumably pings into the game at some point, is horrific. Three team groups, 36 teams in the second round. Come on, FIFA, he says. Uh, I tell you, any older listeners who remember the 1982 World Cup will have just spent all the time since that news broke going, why do they never learn? <laughs> um, so if you've done something similar uh, to, to Ollie Mann, get in touch. Uh, producer Steve, mm. as opposed to Father Stephen. It did drift a bit, didn't it, in that final section? <laughs> a little Lost bit, it a, a bit. little bit. It's, yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. It's, all, it's all fine, isn't it? Next up is Wayne McLennan. Wayne says, I'm giving serious consideration to travelling to London to try this sandwich shop that you were waxing lyrical about a couple of weeks ago. Yes. We always do this as well, record this section just before lunch. So obviously, it's a bit like you never go to the supermarket hungry because you always end up buying more because you're like, oh, I'll have that right now, sort of thing. But um, yes, Dialettos, uh, we're going to try and get through the street-long queue later today so wayne's letter says beyond that another thank you wayne tends to stick to england for his fm saves but listening to all of the interesting save ideas from around the globe has inspired his current save now of course you can go back through the feed to the live score section on previous episodes with people like julian laurens james hawcastle did a uh, wide variety of saves from all over the world so wayne went for denmark because his wife has applied to be an academic over there in Aarhus and I wasn't sure about the move but thought why not give it a go on FM to get a sense of the place so Wayne took on VSK Aarhus in the fourth tier of Danish football that's not the one that Jack Wilshire is at which is Aarhus Gymnastic Foreningen excellent pronunciation so with the smaller Aarhus VSK he worked his way up through the divisions Wayne is currently starting his 12th 12th season in Denmark after winning successive league and cup doubles and Champions League quarterfinals when is a bona fide club legend. I mean, there you're talking about building a statue level, really. My wife didn't get the job in Denmark in the end, but it turned out to be a great career move for me. <laughs> so, Wayne, that's a lovely letter. Thank Fantastic. you for sending that in. Worst reasons to start a save. Tom Westwood is still on the Derby County save, except he's not. He started actually before we started in the Community Challenge and, and just sort of caught up. He finished the first season bottom of the league. He is by no means alone. Quite a lot of people did that. He was only two points from safety. Didn't get a takeover until quite late, but won the third division by 24 points, got back into the championship and then secured back-to-back promotions as well. Season four in the Premier League, one goal, stay in the division. He says he was well in the process of doing that till he got a job interview from Rangers. Oh. And he left. He left Derby County and went and won the league with, with Rangers. I think that's fantastic. I, I love the idea of just using it as a starting point, mainly because I fell out of my board and, and was going to walk away myself. Um, but fantastic <laughs> effort, Tom. I love a, a proper career save that has a kind of almost conventional career transition as well who else have we got we've got sam brooks who is paying the toll paying the ferryman as it were so he'd just like to say the show's a fantastic listen so all credit to you two thank you sam you may enter sam would like to share his save which i think he thinks other managers would like to hear as it's a sort of new angle on what he calls our favorite waste of time so it's called the alphabet challenge sam's downloaded the database with every country in the world on it and their domestic leagues. So he starts off with A, has to win the top league title in a division which starts in a country, which starts with the letter A before moving on to the next letter. So for example, on FN22 so far, Sam has managed in Andorra, Bahrain, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, and is currently in Egypt. 
Sam continues to say, it's not easy, but I've been in each country for just one season apart from Bahrain, where I stupidly took over a team that were due to be relegated, so we had to get them back up to the top division before then winning that division's top division in Bahrain. Sam says it's loads of fun, but one of the drawbacks is the fact that he has to resign after winning the league each time. And that, obviously, as we discussed in previous episodes, in terms of reputation in each country... That makes the interview process, he describes it as not very friendly. So Sam thought he would just share this if anyone out there would like to give it a go, as it, for him, definitely refreshed the game, especially in the latter stages of, you know, as we're going into, what are we, just over six months from the release of FM22. That is a lovely idea. I don't know where you people are getting all your spare time from. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel McMahon, right, uh, just finished his second season with Bradford City, raced to the title in League Two in his first season, started brightly in the second, uh, got into the playoffs, uh, but then his best centre-back, Reese Staunton, picked up his 10th yellow and was suspended for two games for an accumulation of offences, and that meant he missed the return leg and the playoff final, a cracking match that he lost 3-2 at the death to Shrewsbury. Nevertheless, excited to go again with his young squad of Premier League cast-offs and a lone army courtesy of a new partnership with Man City. Wise move, wise move. He's wondering, does yellow card accumulation not reset for the playoffs? Apparently not, um, if, if that's just what happened. Always worth a read of the rules. If you go on the league table of whatever division you're playing in and have a quick scan of the rules before the season, that might prevent nasty surprises there. No nasty surprises for Matt Bell, though, on the Derby Community Challenge. Got automatic promotion with three games to spare in his third season. So he's he's in the Premier League. Initial budget of $35 million, uh, double the wage budget to 650000 which which actually is not that much. Uh, he says, thanks to you and the FM pod for suggesting the challenge. I've struggled to get into recent FM editions, and this is the most I've played in years. I, do you know, Steve, it's really nice to have some happy stories about this Derby Challenge, because this one, I think, I mean, last year, loads of people did Sunderland and they did it for ages. This turned a lot of people off, didn't it? So this is a whim for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because I, as has been well documented on this podcast, did not enjoy it. But it's not about us, is it? And it's about the listeners. And um, it's great also as well that the fact he's still getting to the enjoyment out of it is really great. So just really happy to hear it. The reason it's Derby, I want to be very clear on this. Me and Steve didn't <laughs> screw up. We never screw up. We're infallible. The reason it's Derby is that you people <laughs> voted for it. Or at least not. Not all of you, but enough of you. There were some really interesting ones there. So I'm thinking, you know, what with this and Brexit, um, maybe it's time to stop asking people stuff. <laughs> I have definitely not had enough of experts. To put it that way. <laughs> we might just pick our own next time. And that was the Football Manager Show, sponsored by LiveScore. Your guests today were RDF Tactics and Derek Robertson. Your producer was Steve Hankey, and I am listed on the album credits as Walter Tavistock. The Athletic.